And you know, as, as I'm, I'm going through this and seeing, it is just encouraging to me to see our God. He, he is getting bigger and bigger in my mind and my heart as I, as I approach the scriptures book by book and, and prepare for this. I am just amazed. And my prayer today is that you will leave here even more amazed with this God that you and I serve. Exodus stands at the heart of the Old Testament as, as one of the greatest examples of God's grace. Not, not only His grace, but His redemption. And his power is demonstrated in such a, a, a beautiful way that, that we don't see anything even close to that until the coming of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, and his work that he does at Calvary. If there was one word to, to capture the book of Exodus, it would be redemption. And redemption stands at the heart of this book. And as we look at it today, I, I hope that you, you see that about our God. Ironically, though, I'm not going to start by reading in Exodus. We are going to go back to Genesis chapter 15. Because I want you to understand that what we're looking at in Exodus was not a Oh no, God going, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? But God's plan and purpose for his people. Genesis chapter 15, as we begin in verse 13 there, says this. God said to Abram, No, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. You see, the book of Exodus is not a reaction by God going oh no now this is happening now I have to do this this was foreknown by God and it encourages Abram afterwards but you will rest this is not going to be something you'll deal with Abram this is coming later as as Genesis closes up chapter 50 I love the faith of of, of Joseph as he's lying on his deathbed, he says this, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. That's pretty straightforward right there. But God, that's a way to die right there, on your deathbed. I'm going to die, but God. All right? Man, if I could have a phrase, that would be an amazing phrase to have on my deathbed. But God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Look what he says next. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. Joseph was looking to that promise. 
And on his deathbed, he had faith that, that God would do what God said he would do. They were in a foreign land. But God would do what God would do. And it's encouraging, even there, he doesn't say, Egypt will care for you, Pharaoh will care for you, but God will care for you. But God. I encourage you, if you are ever discouraged, do a study through the Scriptures on all the situations that begin with, but God. Because those situations usually are those that overwhelm us. Exodus, as we look through it, is, 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 a, is a narrative of God continuing to work. It's interesting, the very first word of Exodus is and. It's a continuation of what Moses was writing in Genesis. It's like, I'm going to continue on, but this is a separate account so we're going to leave Genesis there, we're going to look at Exodus, and we're going to discover something even greater about our God. And, and there's really just three different parts of, of Exodus where God remembers his people. We're going to look at that. Where God redeems his people, and then where God reveals himself to his people. And, and as we, we do this, I, I think it's important for us to remember that God remembers you. Honestly, I, I want to, on a show of hands, how many of you have ever felt forgotten by God? Yeah. We, we go through those times, don't we? He's creator, he's God, he's savior, yes, but God, did you forget about me? <laughs> I pray and it seems like my prayers don't even hit the roof and they just drop back to the floor. But we see in a beautiful way as we open up Exodus that God remembered. God remembered his people. Exodus 1, verse 5. I love this. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number. But Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died and all the brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied. It's interesting that phrase right there, by the way. Remember the first command that God gave man, be fruitful and multiply? They're doing it here. They are obeying God, they're increasing, they're multiplying, and God is blessing them. And it says, and became exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. Now a king rose up over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply. And in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. There, there was a, a concern there as... as Pharaoh saw this nation, this people, this family increasing. 
Some theologians, as they look at, at this exodus, they look at numbers and, and all of that, and they, they speculate that Israel was at the very smallest, a million people, but very likely more like three million people. That is a large multitude of people. And I was talking to someone yesterday, and I said, you know, flannel graphs seriously messed up a lot of my theology. It really has. I might write a book one day, How Flannel Graph Threw Off My Theology. I mean, I always pictured Israel like 40 people. I mean, they were bigger than that going into the land. But this is a people of 3 million possibly. Just let that number kind of sink in. And, and the people are going to be oppressed. There's difficulty that's going to come. Pharaoh comes in, and we know as we read through that, that there's slave labor that occurs. There's, there's difficult hardship that comes on the people. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, they keep multiplying. It's amazing that, that God continued to bless them. So Pharaoh comes up with another idea. Let's kill all the baby boys. But even that doesn't work. And Pharaoh is exasperated. God overrules. It's wonderful to watch God overrule. And it's brutal. The slave labor is brutal. You're like, why is God allowing this? Well, I believe that Israel's heart needed to not like Egypt. Think about it, the most cutting-edge society in the world they were in. All the splendors and glories and conveniences of the world, they were in it. God had to take that nest that had been preparing them to become a nation and he was starting to pull the feathers and the fluff and all of that and pretty soon there were just sticks and points and, and it wasn't comfortable anymore. God was working to prepare his people. And sometimes he prepares us. But through all that he was also preparing a man. There was a man he was going to prepare to use, and that man was Moses. I have a lot of respect for Moses. I, I appreciate so much how Scripture reveals just his heart, his flaws, and his relationship with God. But as you look at Moses, uh, there's really three 40s, 40, 40, 40 there, that we need to consider. The first 40 years, God prepares Moses in the presence of Pharaoh, in the kingdom. Okay, his, his mom and, and all his folks uh, had this great idea, God-given, I'm sure, to put their baby in a basket and put him in the Nile River with the crocodiles. Great idea. And he floats down the river, and he ends up right there at Pharaoh's daughter. I have a daughter, and if she bats those eyes and says, Daddy, please, you know, it's hard to say no. And here's this little, you know, Israelite baby boy, and, and his daughter goes, Daddy, please. And he goes, all right, fine. And he grows up in, a, in the palace of Pharaoh. 
with all the education, cutting education of the world in that day. No doubt being trained in different skills in management, military, maybe even foreign relations. Forty years Moses is in that setting. Skip to the next 40 years because, well, you know, you can get a big head when you get all of that prep in a palace. And, well, Moses was pretty sure God was going to use him. And so one day he saw a, a, a guard beating one of the, the Israelites and says, well, I'll take care of this. And he kills one man. God goes, Moses, no. He ends up having to flee. Flee for 40 years. Where the palace trained and prepared him, now God is going to train and prepare him. There's some things he needs to learn in this wilderness. Just curious, how is God preparing you? What things in your life is he using to prepare you for what's coming? Moses had no idea of what was coming. But in that 40 years, Moses learned humility. To go from a palace to the wilderness where he shepherded sheep. 40 years he learned how to shepherd sheep in the wilderness. 40 years he learned patience. And in 40 years, I believe his heart was softened to listen to God. Oh, the hardships God has had to do in my life to make my heart soft. To listen. To be molded to His plan, His will, His image. Finally, at age 80, God says, you know, I think you're ready. At age 80, Moses is ready to be used by God, and he is now a prophet. He is a shepherd, not of sheep, but of people. I wonder how many days Moses wished he could have gone back to the sheep. It would have been so much easier. But he's shepherding God's people. And not only that, he is standing in the position of intercessor between God and the people that he has called out for himself. God uses this man. I want to take us back to this outline again and show you just some of the things that, that we see in this book of Exodus. Chapters 1 and 2 are just a beautiful picture of, of the preparation. And here's the thing. I don't know how long this preparation will take for you, for me. I know God's still preparing me. He's still working and, 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 and plowing the fields of my heart so that they can be fruitful for him. But God remembers, even in those difficult times, at the heart of it is the redemption. We discover in such a beautiful way who God is. There is a redemption story that comes out in, in these chapters. And we have for us such a beautiful picture of that redemption in the Passover, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. 
But as we look at the Passover, we see that scarlet thread, God showing what would take place eventually in his son, Jesus Christ. This morning we were partaking of communion. I want you to think about that as, as we go through this. Where God would use Israel one day, the people he's calling out, to bless all nations, all peoples, through his son. But chapters 19 and, and through 40, God is revealing himself in a magnificent way. He pulls them into a wilderness. It's amazing how much you can learn in the wilderness of your life. When things seem to be pulled away from the comforts of this world, and God works. But he reveals himself, and there's a relationship that he is striving to establish with his people. We see his heart as he demonstrates and gives us his law. And as we see the tabernacle built, what a beautiful image of that relationship. I wish I could give a message on each of these things, but once again, time as we go through this, we cannot touch on everything. But as we look at that, this, God is working. But the discouraging part is through all of this, as the people watch this, as Pharaoh watches this, as we watch this, we see the response. And we'll close with that this morning. The response of their heart. But let's look at the response of the heart of this man, Moses. There's an event that occurs. Many of you are familiar with it. Moses is out there with the sheep. Just like any normal day. And that day changes everything for Moses. A bush is burning. And God speaks to Moses. And he reveals several things to Moses that I, that I want you to see as we read this passage. First of all, he reveals to Moses that God sees. God's aware. Some of you may need to hear that this morning. God sees. He is aware of what is going on in your heart. Your mind, the struggles, the burdens that you carry that maybe no one else knows. God is one who comes close. He's not a distant God. And God's going to bring them out. God will eventually bring you and I through those things too. If not in this life, as ones who know him, we enter into the promised land. But we also learn <laughs> that God wants to use Moses. You would think Moses would jump at that opportunity. I mean, especially since at age 40, he really wanted to be used by God. Chapter 3, verse 7. Look at a part of this conversation. I wish we had time to look at the whole thing. But then the Lord said, and I want you to hear what God is saying. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have given heed 
to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their sufferings. So, I have come down, that coming close, to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to the God, uh, to the good, not God, good, good and spacious land, to the land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now, behold. That word behold is look, focus. I lost my place. <laughs> Man, I lost the momentum there. That was not good. Now behold, there it is. The cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Look at verse 14. God introduces himself. Moses is like, well, who do I tell him sent me? Here's God's answer. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am. What an encompassing concept. As God introduces him as himself, as I am, it would be a wordplay almost. The, the, the Hebrew is, eh, yeah. As you describe God, his name is Yahweh. I am present. I am with you. I am God. And God never once says, I am a God. We're going to see that. But he says, I am God. That's who you say sent. That's the authority you go with. You would think, after seeing a burning bush, as God is talking to him, introducing himself as I am, Moses is like, sign me up! Oh my goodness, he gives every excuse in the book not to do it. And at first you think, wow, he's so humble. No, he's just making excuses not to be used by God. Some of us are really good at making excuses. For anyone under the age of 80, stop making that excuse. God can use you. For anyone over the age of 80, God uses them for another 40 years. So if you are over the age of 120, I will give you permission. <laughs> Until then, God can and wants to use you. No amens on that. Wow, people are like... It's more like, uh-oh, not amen. It's interesting that Moses now knows God. Aaron, who God eventually sends to be the mouthpiece for Aaron Moses because Moses complains about his speaking ability or something, you know. Aaron now knows God. The people knew of God. 
they're going to know God soon. Pharaoh, well, Pharaoh doesn't know God, but he's going to be introduced. Chapter 5, look at this. I want you to look at verses 1 and 2. And afterwards, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, in the presence of Pharaoh, they've done some amazing things, and this is what they say. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go. That's a direct order, a direct command from God Almighty. That they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, mark these words that Pharaoh says. Who is the Lord? Who is he? That I should obey his voice. To let the people Israel go. I do not know the Lord. Such a sad statement. A true one. And besides, I will not let Israel go. Even if I knew him, I'm not going to let him go. So God decides to make himself known. God is going to do a work, and the people are concerned about this. And I love what, what God says. I want you to notice, as we read in chapter 6 here, all of the I will, I am. This is God working, not people do this, nation do this, Moses do this. Look at what God says he's going to do. Chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, not to Pharaoh, but to the Israelites, to my people, God says, tell them this. I think some of you need to hear this today. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. Then I will take, your, take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you from the land which I swore to bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. That's pretty cool. Israel, watch what God is going to do. Church, watch what God is going to do. God is going to introduce himself in a magnificent way. The pharaohs of that day, get this, they would consider themselves a god. They would demand worship of themselves. Not only that, the things around them, the creation, the nature, the cosmos, all of those things were gods, worshipped. And when I think about these, these puny gods, there's an image, there's a video clip that comes to mind. I'm a Marvel fan, so this is what comes to mind. As God looks down at Pharaoh, as he says, I am a god, I don't know you. Well, look at this video clip, just real briefly. Well, 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 we need volume for this. This has nothing without volume. Start it over, start it over. Okay, do we have volume? We got to have volume, man. Let's try this again. Here we go. Maybe. Enough! You are all of you beneath me. I am a god, you dull creature. 
but I will not be bullied by that. Puny God. It's what comes to mind. I'm sorry. Now you have a glimpse into the mind of your pastor. Okay. As, as we see that, as God looks down and he sees Pharaoh's boldness to say, besides, even if I knew him, I wouldn't let them go. Well, God is going to demonstrate himself in a powerful way. And honestly, as we look at, at these, these plagues that God brings, we, we see a side of our God that shocks us. That our God could bring such devastation. Well, mark my words, God deals with sin. God deals with those gods that come and try to stand up against him. Because he is God. Not a God. I love the quote in the, the Narnia series where Lucy is, is talking to Mr. Beaver and he's telling him, her about Aslan, the Lion King. Not the Lion King, but the Lion that's King. And she goes, Aslan? Is he safe? And Beaver erupts in just frustration. He goes, no, are you not listening? He is not safe. He is a lion. Ah, but mark this. He is good. He is good. You and I serve a good God, and as we see these plagues that God brings, he is introducing himself. It's interesting, as God sends Moses and Aaron before Pharaoh and introduces each plague. Each plague is introduced as, so Pharaoh will know. God is one who is introducing himself to Pharaoh, the people, and to you and I. Look at what we see in these plagues. We don't have time to look at each one, but they go and they, they go and attack the very gods of this nation, Egypt. The first one is the Nile River. The Nile is turned to blood. And it's fascinating. The Egyptian magicians go, we can do that too. So they go and turn uh, water to blood too. Well, it's interesting. God turned the Nile to blood. So they had to go and find some other water in the streams or something like that and turn it to blood. Now everything's blood. Way to go, magicians. And then the next one, the frogs. God causes all the frogs to come on the land. Frogs usually stayed in the water, but they came into the homes. They came into their bedrooms, which is really interesting when you consider the God that the frogs, never mind, introduced. It was a fascinating thing that God was showing. These frogs are all over the people, and because they're a God, the people can't kill these frogs. And the magicians are like, well, we can do that too. So they cause frogs to come out of other places. Now it's even worse. I love how God's irony is like, yeah, I'll let you do that. That's great. Make it worse for yourself. But then, gnats. The dust of the earth turns to gnats and is biting and consuming the people. The next one that comes is flies all over the land of Egypt and not Goshen where the people are. 
You come and the next one is, is disease upon the livestock. Their, their animals, their donkeys, their, their cows, all of that get a disease and begin to die. This is not a good place to be right now in Egypt. God says, you want more? Still, Pharaoh's heart is hardened over and over and over again towards this God. I will not let the people go. Boils come, boils and sores all over the bodies. The magicians couldn't even stand before Pharaoh in this instant. You know why? Because they had boils on their feet. At this point, the magicians and those in Pharaoh's household are going, Oh my goodness, this God! All of our gods are like being demolished here. They're puny gods and this God. Next one, Moses says, Hey, uh, the next one, I'm going to give you a warning. You might want to bring in your cattle and, and all of that, and your livestock, your, your servants. You know why? Because God's going to send hail, lightning, and thunder. The hail, all the livestock that are left in the field are demolished by that. There were some Egyptians who were like, hey, we're going to go pull our livestock in. We're, we're going to go. God's introducing himself not only to Israel, not only to Pharaoh, but the land of Egypt. And some of them are paying attention. Locusts come after that. Anything that's left of the fields after the hail, the locusts come and consume. This once great, powerful nation has been crippled. Not one soldier has drawn a sword yet. God's not done. He shows the darkness that is in the land of Egypt. The darkness that's in their hearts that, that comes out and there is darkness for three days. They cannot see anything. They don't move from their homes. They don't go anywhere because they can't see the darkness is so thick. Yet in the land of Goshen, the sun shines. Last plague. You know, it's interesting. All nine plagues were brought to Egypt. The last plague was brought to all. The death angel would come and he would come and, and each firstborn of every home, firstborn animal, everything would be slaughtered that night at midnight. Except for those that had the blood of a lamb over their doorpost. When the blood of the lamb was seen, the death angel would pass over. Such a beautiful picture of this Passover. I am fighting the clock. Man, this is a good book. We got to get through this, though. Let's speed up, okay? You ready? If you're taking notes, here we go. The Passover, though. It was the consequence for their sin. Romans 3.23 and 6.23 declares that all of us have sinned. It declares that the consequence for sin is death, and we see it here. But we also see... The consequence that would come to all show mercy and grace when the blood of the Lamb was there. They were to have bread, but there was no yeast to be seen there. There was no yeast to be in the bread. We see yeast in Scripture as, as that sin. God requires no sin. None of us can do that. But it was a beautiful picture. As they come, that blood would cover 
it would cover that sin. Mercy was given. And that night, panic ensued. Not for Israel, but in Egypt. As panic ensued, the people would, would go and push them out. And remember when God said in Genesis, all the way before Abraham was even Abraham, God said, you will plunder that nation. They leave with gold and linen and, and jewels and, and everything. They plunder the nation. And the people are like, here, take this, go, leave. Even Pharaoh's like, get out. But God. It's interesting, as they pushed him out, they would go and they would encamp by the Red Sea. And as they were there, they would wait, and God would just, that's where God brought them to. And they stopped. And all of a sudden, oops, we let Israel go. We have no workforce. Our land is in shambles, and we have no workforce. What did we do? And they go after Israel. They go after Israel. The army is coming. And God comes between the army and Israel so that they cannot pursue. Panic ensues with the people. I'd read the scripture, but we have, you can read it for yourself. It's a great passage, okay? But God says, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again forevermore. The waters part. Once again, it's not that flannel graph little whoop. We're talking miles wide. We've got to get millions across in one night. And God parts the waters of the Red Sea. And there's praise. It was pretty cool. I was talking with um, uh, Mark Henry this morning. He's, uh, he's doing a service out at the Red Sea today. <laughs> kind of cool. He sent me a video. I'm like, ah, that'd be a cool place to preach the sermon. But, but God parted the Red Sea for the people. You know what that, that did to them? They praise God. I mean, if you saw God do that, I mean, wouldn't you praise him? How many of you would praise God if you saw him part the Red Sea? Awesome. How many of you would forget that real quickly? I, I could. Yeah, I could. They do. They forget it. In fact, they're out there and they're journeying and all that. It's interesting, their journey, and we'll come back to this map periodically, but they come here from Goshen and they come up to the Red Sea. That's where they camp. And then they go out and they're in this wilderness over here by Mount Sinai, somewhere in this area there. Okay? And I want to remind you that God brought them to the wilderness. That's God's place for his people right now. But as they're there, oh, they get thirsty. Oh, we should go back to Egypt. It was so better. There. Oh, much better there. Oh, God, you're a horrible God. We're thirsty. And God gives them water. Oh, God, we're hungry. Oh, my All oh, the sandwiches in Egypt were just delightful and the pastries. Oh, my goodness, God, this is awful. God provides. Oh, you're such a good God, God. Thank you. It's a vicious cycle that we see. And we're like, oh, shame on Israel. Like you and I don't do the same thing. We see God work time and time and time again. If nothing else in the scriptures, but also around us. And then the next difficulty comes and we're like, oh, woe is me. I used to be really hard on them, but, you know... 
I'm less and less the longer I live. Because I look in the mirror and I see Israel tenfold in my heart. War comes. They cry out again. God's like, I'll give you the victory. God gives the victory. They praise him again. It's a vicious cycle. But it's in this wilderness that God reveals himself. I encourage you to read these passages. They seem tedious. The laws are given. The Ten Commandments are given in Mount Sinai. God establishes himself with these people. He reveals a part of himself as he reveals the law. The first, first four commandments of those ten are vertical, our relationship with him. The next six are horizontal, our relationship with one another. And then God reveals another 52 commands. 52? I think so. Yeah, 52, there it is. It's bouncing around here, sorry. Because he's establishing with them a theocracy. They're now a nation. But they're a nation of people with the king as God Almighty himself. He's establishing his rule, his order, and these people are called to be a kingdom of priests. They were to be the people that would lead people, be that intercessor between God and man, leading man to God. And we see them fail over and over again. And then God says, here's what my tabernacle should be. And he describes in such beautiful detail all of the things within the tabernacle, how it should look on the outside, the inside, the furniture, all of those things in beautiful, beautiful detail. And you're like, why is that even important? Well, we don't have a tabernacle in this building here. My goodness, I preach from a music stand. There's nothing gold in here. But you see, God no longer dwells in a tabernacle, a tent. The Holy Spirit himself comes to indwell within you and I. What does that say about his dwelling place? Do you think God wants the dwelling place to look a certain way? Do you think he cares about what's in your heart, in your mind, in your homes, in your life? Read the passages on the tabernacle and I guarantee you God is concerned about where he dwells. There is a look that he wants. But the response of the people. Moses goes up just for 40 days. 40 days they're like, oh, God has forgotten us. Really? So Aaron tries to appease the people. He goes and gathers gold, and this is what he tells Moses. Moses, I took the gold from the people. I'm like, all right, what do I do? Throw it in the fire, and I'll poop, out pop this calf. Weird. Seriously, that's what he told Moses. 
I mean, irony of ironies, and they're worshiping this calf. It's interesting, they're not worshiping the calf and saying God doesn't exist. They're worshiping the calf and, and including it in. The very first commands of God is, I am a jealous God. You shall have no gods except me. And they agreed to it, yet they broke it. We're going into communion here in just a second. We see this in the people. And it's so easy to come to Exodus and go... I want us to pause and look at our hearts as we go to God here in just a moment. I want you to reflect on Him. In Genesis, we saw Him as Creator God, Sustainer of all things. In Exodus, He declares who He is. I am. He demonstrates in such a powerful way his redemption. His authority, his power, his sovereignty. And he shows that he is one who desires to dwell with his people. To come close. It's interesting as we look at this at the beginning, we're like, oh, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. As you read through Exodus, we begin to see, oh, the hardness of Israel's heart. And as we look in the mirror of the pages of Scripture, we begin to go, oh my goodness, the hardness of my heart. It's in this wilderness God is going to define himself in great ways, not only to Israel, but to you and I. And truth be told, some of you are in a wilderness right now. If God's led you there, let him teach you there. Let him show himself in a, in a powerful way. God has called his people out of Egypt over 350 times in Scripture, it references that. That calling out. You and I are called out of this world. We are not to be of this world. We're to be in it, but not of it. And that season may feel like a wilderness. But God. But God draws close to His own. He redeems His own. And he may be preparing you for what's coming. Let him prepare your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's gone long. God, when it comes to matters of the heart, sometimes, God, we need to take a hard, long look. Lord, as we come to your table here now, God, I pray that our hearts before you would be right. God, you are a jealous God. You accept no others in place of you. 
God, you are jealous for your people. God, thank you for pursuing us in such a a passionate way. So Lord, we ask that our hearts would be sensitive and that you would work. In Jesus' name, amen.